Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That word, that phrase in that last song, 10,000, is pretty amazing um, for two reasons. One, 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord, right? 10,000. Obviously, we have more than that, but 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. You woke up today. You're alive today. Your heart is beating today. The sun was shining today. We had rain last week that we needed uh, on this island. Uh, you have salvation today. You have hope today. You have the Holy Spirit today. You're going to go to heaven tomorrow or the day after or whenever God chooses to take you home. For all those reasons, we can sing 10,000, 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord. Amen? All right. Back up here in the pulpit where I belong on Sunday mornings. It's good to be back. And I'm so thankful for those of you that helped out over the last week while we were on our mission trip. Um, Brother Bruce preached on Sunday, and then Brother Vaughn was on Wednesday night. And of course, uh, Brandon was with us. And many of you um, noticed our worship team without him. And didn't they do a wonderful job the last two weeks? We're so thankful for them. And um, also thankful for Brother Jeffrey, our chairman of the deacons who uh, took care of everything while we were away, along with the deacons who helped him out. So thank you guys so much for everything you've done. Um, I wanted to do that before I forgot, and then I want to continue on with the celebration of God, because we, we have 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord, and ultimately we have 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord because our God in His great commission in Matthew 28 has promised us that he'll, he'll be with us always, 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 even to the end of the age. So at the end of that song, that's why they can say 10,000 years and forevermore because we're with Jesus, walking with Him in this world and in this life, and then one day He's going to take us home to be with Him, and then we're going to be with Him for 10,000 upon 10,000 and forevermore years into eternity. That's our Jesus. All right, amen. It's Father's Day. And uh, it's a good day to be a dad, and we're going to praise our Lord in heaven, our Father God today. But what I want to do before we get started with the sermon is, is thank you so much. Did you see that? He had his hands up. He was, he was clapping his hand. That's awesome. Um, I want to invite all our kids up here. So if you're a child or you, you know, like to learn like a child, you can come up here. Come on up here, kids. Just have a seat right here. Oh, I need my Bible. I almost forgot that. All right, come on up here, kids. Don't you guys look nice today? Here, I'll come down a little bit closer to you guys. Oop, there we go. All right, is this everybody who wants to be up here? How are you guys doing today? Are you happy to be at church? You look so nice and ready to learn from the Word of God. Oh, we got a couple more. Come on up here, it's all right. I brought something special that I usually don't bring in church. What does that look like to you guys? What is that? It's a knife. What are things that we use knives for? Cutting things. That's true. Cutting things. I'm going to close this right back up. There we go. Because we don't want to cut anything now. 
but I do want you to see the knife that it opens up. And look, it closes too. That's how we keep it nice and safe. That's right. So what did you say? We cut things? Yes. What did you say, Abijah? We cut vegetables. We slice things. What? Protection. Protection, that's true. I use it when I go fishing to cut my fishing line, to clean my fish when I come home. So knives are really important, right? So let's just, as an example, let's, let's, do you guys know what this is? That's a banana. That's right. Look at how easy this knife cuts that banana. Look, I'll do it again because you're so excited about that. You definitely can have one. There you go. Enjoy that. Okay, everybody wants one. Okay, so we're going to be up here for about 20 minutes. Here we go. All right. I should have had an adult come and help me hand out this banana. Maybe I didn't think through this process as well as I should have. That's okay, though. We're going to be here all day until this is done, okay? And your parents are going to be fine with that. Anybody else want a banana? You want? I don't have a trash can. Can you hold on to it for just a minute? And then you can give it to your mom and dad when you go back and sit down. <laughs> Put it in your mom's purse. That's a good place to store it until church is over. Whoop. That was like a wheel. All right. There we go. All right. So that was pretty easy. Now, if you didn't eat it yet, what did that knife do? What, what can you do now on this banana? You can eat it, but, what, but if, before you eat it, you can see on the inside of it. It was like the knife cut all the way through the banana, and now we can see inside to the very heart of that banana. Last piece. Anybody want it? She didn't get one. You can have it. Here, hand it back. There you go. Okay, now, I fed you guys, so now someone's got to work for that banana, so someone's going to have to read something for me. Sophie, come here. Oh, thank you. All right, Daniel, I need the, the Deacon Mike, our Brandon number, uh, yellow. All right. All right, Sophie, you're going to read. Oh, it's on. Here we go. Now, we're talking about knives and how it cut through that banana. Can you read right here? Start right there. For the mm -hmm. word of God mm -hmm. is living and effective. Effective and sharper. Sharper. Sharper than any double-edged double-edged sword. Then I can do it. Penetrating. Like penetrating as far as the Separation. Separation of soul and spirit. Mm -hmm. It joints. Joints and marrow. Marrow. It mm -hmm. is all able. Able to judge. Judge the thoughts and, and intentions. Intentions of the heart. Very good. Thank you. Oh, when church, when church is over, you come find me and you can try it, okay? Thank you. So, thank you for being my helper. So, the Word of God, this says, is like this. And what does this do? It cuts. Now, the Word of God, it doesn't actually, like the Bible doesn't actually cut into us. That would be silly. The Word of God, as we read and study it, goes deep into our heart and who we are and affects us. And that's what we're going to learn about today. So every time you see a knife, you can remember that we need to read and study the Word of God because it changes us into who God wants us to be, all right? 
All right, go back to your seats. Take your banana peels. And the rest of you guys, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 57. And we're going to study what Stephen did toward the end of his life as he gave his life as an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. That passage in Hebrews chapter 4 is very, very important to me because when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I came to faith while reading the Word of God. Some men in my life had challenged me to study and read the book of Matthew. And as I was reading the book of Matthew, God changed my heart. He literally did what He promised He would do in Hebrews chapter 4. What Stephen has done in this part of the text as we move through our sermon series called Line in the Sand is he exposed through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God what was at the heart of the religious leaders who were gathered around him. And what we learn is the name of Jesus, the gospel message, confronts humanity, you and I, with our sin. That's what it does. In the midst of this great movement of God in Jerusalem, there was a man named Stephen, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, following Jesus. He was first called out by the Jerusalem church to be one of seven men to help with the distribution of food and resources to the widows in Jerusalem. Soon after that, God used him in mighty ways to do miraculous things to proclaim the gospel in that city. He found, as many others had, like Peter and John, he found himself at the heart of a religious controversy because he was proclaiming the name of Jesus as the Messiah and the one who came to take away the sins of the world. The Sanhedrin, or the 70 Jewish leaders who were in charge of making the laws that the Jews would follow and ensuring that they follow their law, or the Old Testament, brought him in on trumped-up charges that he was a blasphemer, and that he was teaching people a false gospel. Stephen stood in front of that group of 70-plus people, the most well-educated men in their city, the most powerful men in the city, and he taught them from the Word of God about who Jesus Christ is. At the end of his biblical, brilliant message, He now finds himself standing in front of them. And if you haven't opened yet, turn your Bibles to Acts as I'm going to. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And I want to read verses 51 to 53, which is what I went over a couple weeks ago. Acts 7. This is uh, Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's invitation to his... Uh, group here whom he just finished proclaiming the gospel. Now, this is not a gentle invitation, right? This is a hard invitation to Jesus. Ready? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murders you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and you have not kept it. 
They are in this moment rejecting the gospel that Stephen proclaimed to them. And so he's giving them one more chance, some tough love from the Word of God. Encouraging them, begging them, confronting them with the gospel so that they could turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Stephen's speech based on the Word of God has penetrated deep into their hearts And now in the next few moments, what's in their hearts will be exposed. Verse 54 continues. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. God originally created this council of leaders known as the Sanhedrin, which was named so because it was 70 leaders plus one, the high priest. He originally created this group for Moses when the Israelites were wandering through the desert, which is described in the book of Exodus. And and Moses was just worn out, and his father-in-law came to him and said, you can't can't keep doing this. You're you're never going to last. He said, you need to appoint godly men from every tribe to take care of the smaller things, and then you kind of take care of the big things. And so that's what Moses did. It says that group of men were filled with God's Holy Spirit, and that they judged wisely, and it went well for the Israelites and for Moses. Since that day, the Israelites proceeded to use this 70 men as leaders to help them in understanding the Word of God and in applying justice to them as a community. This group was originally filled with the Holy Spirit and provided by God as a blessing to Israel so that they could follow Him and obey His Word. By this time, however, the council had failed to achieve their purpose. They were no longer following the leading of the Holy Spirit. As Stephen said, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. They rejected Jesus. And now they were unleashing their fury on Stephen, Jesus' messenger. This once respectable council of priests and elders turned into nothing more than a murderous lynch mob under the control of Satan. Verse 54 says that they were enraged that they ground their teeth at him. It's as if Stephen's words cut them to the quick. At that point, when they heard the gospel, when they heard of the word of God proclaimed to them, they had two ways to respond with brokenness and repentance and love for Jesus as Lord and Savior. Or rejection and anger. And they could turn away from him. You see, as it always does, as the Bible promises it will do, the gospel message penetrated into their hearts. And it laid it open. The way I laid open that banana. And they could in that moment feel the conviction of what they had heard. And in that moment, they had a choice to make. What will I do with this message? What will I do with this gospel about Jesus? Well, their rage, the grinding of their teeth, confirmed the direction that they would take. You know, church, not much has changed between then and now. The Word of God 
is just as true today as it was yesterday and the day before and the day before that and a thousand years ago and two thousand years ago. The Word of God still penetrates into our hearts and lays them open. The Word of God still challenges us to make a decision when we hear the truth of it and as our hearts are exposed to it. It reminds me of something that happened to me the other day. I was filing some papers, and I don't know how this happens, but I'm sure it's happened to you as well. Have you ever you know, been working with papers and just grabbed one the wrong way and somehow had the tiny little millimeter thickness of a paper somehow get underneath your fingernail and cut between your fingernail and the flesh of your finger? Me, I'm the only one that's ever had. Anybody? That's never had... If you've not had that happen to you, then God bless you because it's horrible. You know, it gets in there and it cuts and it's painful and it bleeds. It's like someone cut your finger off, only it's still there. When I think of this passage in Hebrews 14 and what Stephen was saying in their response to it, it, it reminds me of that, that tiny paper cut underneath my finger. Let me read Hebrews 4.12 to you again. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as a separation of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what the Word of God does to us when we hear it and study it, when we read it. It's living and effective. It's active. It changes us from the inside out. It causes us conflict inside of our spirit, and it challenges us to make a decision about what we just heard. The gospel message and the accompanying study of the Word of God confronts us with our sin, with who we are, with what we've done and and what we plan to do. How will we respond to that? That's where the rubber meets the road at this point in the message. We saw how the Sanhedrin responded to Stephen's gospel. They're grinding their teeth. They're furious and enraged and angry. How do you respond to the Word of God? How do you respond when you hear the truth proclaimed? Especially during those times when we know what God's truth says and we know what we want to do and they're different. I know that y'all never do that, but some people do. Sometimes in our lives we know what the truth of God's Word is And sometimes that truth and what God desires for us is different than what we want, isn't it? How will we respond to the truth of the Word of God as it's preached and taught and learned in our hearts? Jesus has promised to be with us at all times, even to the end of the age. Right? So that means even in our darkest days, even in, in the very best days, the very worst days, our ups, our downs, Jesus is always, always, always with us. Amen. 
thank you, Jesus, that you're always with me. Even when you've got your back turned against him, Christian, you have the Lord beckoning you back to repentance, loving you. He had died for you. He's making a home for you in heaven. That same Jesus, always with you. Especially in the midst of the proclamation of the gospel. Let's go back to our text. In the midst of their red-faced rage, in the midst of their grinding of teeth, and their hissing at Stephen, he would not be intimidated. Not one iota. He would not back down. He would not back up. He would not soften the meaning of the Word of God, nor would he turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Look at verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Remember, his face is glowing. If you look back earlier in this chapter, it talks about Stephen's face glowing like an angel as he proclaims the gospel. Now, the time for talking is over, right? Stephen's presented himself in front of the Sanhedrin and many others. They're shouting at him. They're shaking their fists at him. They're grinding their teeth. Their faces are red. They're they're moving in upon him. Stephen stands unaffected, unafraid. Now in this moment, Luke reports that Stephen looks up into heaven, full of the Holy Spirit, meaning under full control and authority in this moment of the Holy Spirit, looks into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Let's not miss how amazing that is. That Stephen gets this unique vision from God. He looks up into heaven. He sees the glory of God. And then next to God's throne, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, standing there. Contrary to the council and priests who are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to offer judgment for the Israelites, who have now moved and swayed and, and, and turned away from God and his desire for them to follow Jesus, Contrary to them, Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives him this very unique, special vision. I believe that Jesus gave him this vision as a gift in his moment of greatest need. And what a gift it was. The Holy Spirit allows Stephen to peer into heaven. It wasn't like <clears throat> Stephen's idea of heaven or you know, some, uh, a dream about what heaven could be like. This is literal reality. God allowed Stephen to see heaven in that moment. You know, as time is going by here on earth, as Stephen is standing in front of this group preparing to lay his life down, time is going by In that moment of time, he looks up and he sees heaven. 
which fulfills a prophecy in Psalm 110, verse 1, which says this, This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies as a footstool. Jesus, as described in Acts chapter 1, has his last meeting with his disciples, tells them what they're going to do. They're going to be his witnesses. They're going to go out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the world, right? That's the mission. Then Jesus ascends to go up to be with the Father. There's a couple of angels. They're like, what are you guys doing? Why are you staring up in the sky? You need to go about doing the work that he left for you, and one day he's going to come back, right? So we, we're now living in that time when we're waiting for Jesus to return. That's, that's what we're in right now. This is our age. Until Jesus returns, he will be, as the Bible says, at the right hand of the Father, which the psalmist in Psalm 110, verse 1, prophesied. Then Mark, in his gospel describes Jesus' ascension, and he says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So Mark is given supernatural insight to know that Jesus ascends and takes his seat at the right hand of God. So that's where we kind of left Jesus. Last, at the right hand of God, seated on his throne. Now, there's something very unique and special about what Stephen sees in this moment. Look back at the text. Chapter uh, 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Where was Jesus last time we left him? Sitting at the right hand of God. Now, Jesus is standing. A.T. Robertson writes this, Full of the Holy Spirit, gazing steadfastly into heaven, he saw God's glory and Jesus standing as if he had risen to cheer the brave Stephen. It's almost as if the whole host of heaven stood to cheer on this man as he laid down his life for Jesus and for the gospel. It doesn't get any better than that. Then Stephen speaks. So Luke reports in verse 55 what Stephen saw. Then in verse 56, Stephen says what he's seen. He said, look, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Would you really care about anything else at that point? I know I wouldn't. Woo, it's awesome. Stephen calls Jesus the Son of Man, which is actually fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, a prophecy about the Messiah who would one day come. He's called in that prophecy the Son of Man. So you see, wrapped inside of this are all of these messianic truths from the Old Testament. So don't let this like go past you. So the Sanhedrin and those who are listening are, are, are Jews that, that follow the law, that follow the Old Testament, that, that love God, claim to love God. They're waiting for their Messiah to come. Stephen stands in front of this crowd and he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah for whom they're waiting. And then he uses Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah for whom they're waiting to try and prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. They're rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. 
and yet God is gracious and good, and, and, and woven into everything that's happening, even in these moments as they, they prepare to pick up rocks to murder him, God still reaches out to them so that they might be saved through faith in Jesus. Stephen kept his focus on the Lord in that moment. That's what, I think, got him through the moment. Was his steadfast, laser focus on Jesus. What are you focused on today? And also, more importantly, what do you focus on when things get tough? You know, are we strong, faith-filled believers in Jesus following His Word, standing firm on the foundation of Jesus our Savior, are we like that old cheap suit that falls to the floor in a ball? We just did a mission trip up to Tennessee and then over to Kentucky and then back down. And We took our van and we were driving on the interstate. It was a lot of hours, a lot of miles. And you probably, anybody here ever go on a big, long trip before in a car? Yeah? You know, one of the temptations that we have when we drive a car on the interstate and we kind of get bored, right, of the same stuff passing by, we tend to, we tend to um, drift and, and look at stuff on the side of the road, right? So the trouble is sometimes we'll go down the road and we'll see that accident, right, or the people who pulled over for various reasons, and what do we do when we drive by the person on the side of the road? It's like, okay, well, let me, let me tell you what I have a temptation to do, and you guys probably never do this, right? We're here, we're here, there's the accident. Oh, oh, right? Y'all never do that. I do that sometimes. But what we forget is here's, here's us, and here's what happens when we look at the accident. Oh, I want to go over there to that accident, and then you're back, and then everybody freaks out, right? Rochelle never does it, but the, the look on your face tells me that maybe you did one time. We have a tendency to do the same thing in life as we do with the steering wheel of a car. We tend to focus on something other than Jesus, and that has a tendency to draw us away from him and toward whatever we're focused on. Stephen gave us this beautiful example of, of how to walk through difficulty, persecution, trouble, even trouble leading up to death by keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. Because whatever you focus on, that will draw your attention toward it. It will draw your life toward it. Instead, we must be like Stephen if we are to stand up to the things that will come our way when we stand for Jesus and proclaim the gospel, we've got to have our eyes focused on Jesus. My fear in our church, in the American church, is that we're not strong enough to stand up to the persecution that will come as we stand for the gospel. Because we do not have our eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus is just a part of our life. He has not consumed our life. And so moving forward, as Stephen has shown us, we must keep our eyes focused on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. What we're going to be confronted with in this world as we leave this place and proclaim the gospel is persecution. 
What we will soon realize, and maybe you've realized this already, is the world approves of the persecution of the saints. Whether informally or indirectly or directly, the world and our world's culture approves of the persecution of the saints. When Stephen finished proclaiming his testimony about Jesus as Savior, and now his final service to Jesus will be to lay down his life. Look at verse 57. They, meaning the Sanhedrin and those who were gathered around, yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against him. They're so angry. They've rejected the gospel to such a degree that now they've covered their ears so they would not hear any additional truth from the mouth of Stephen. They rush at him in in a fury. The council dispenses with the formal proceedings of charging, sentencing, and ordering the guards to shackle him. And instead, in an illegal execution of justice, they stampede toward him and they use their own hands to dispense punishment. None of that was legal. It wasn't legal in Roman law. It wasn't legal according to Jewish law. Verse 58 continues. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So it's interesting. They dragged Stephen out of the city. Why did they do that? Surely they could have found some rocks there and executed justice immediately. They did so because they did not, did not want to... Um, they did not want to... Um, Let me see what the word is I wrote down because I want to get it right. They did not want to hurt the sanctity of the temple. You didn't execute judgment like that in the temple and make it unclean because you didn't want a dead person in the temple. So they took Stephen outside of the city, almost like get him away from here so that our hands can be clean so we can execute this justice over here. We'll, We'll kill him and then we can all come back And, you know, we'll have dinner on the grounds afterwards because we think we did a great job. That's what they're doing. They didn't have the legal authority to execute the death penalty according to Roman law. And they didn't even do it right according to their own law. A typical stoning would would be a slow process with witnesses and time to consider what they were about to do. They would then take that person, they would throw them off a 10-foot cliff, And the witnesses, the primary witnesses, would roll a heavy boulder on top of them. Most people never survived the first stone. That is not what happened here. Their execution was much different. It was fueled by rage, unbiblical attitude. It was murder, is what it was. Because they disagreed with his message about Jesus. As a side note, Luke notes in verse 58, that Saul, this man Saul, stood there as the official witness of the event. So he was the one who officially would recognize what they did in approval. They all lay their coats at his feet as an act of respect and reverence. That man later would be radically saved by Jesus. His name would be changed to Paul. And he would lead thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to faith in Jesus and write many books in the New Testament. We all, like Stephen, 
have been called by God to share the gospel. It's not going to be easy. And it doesn't come without sacrifice. But it is what we are called to do. One of the, one of the, the most significant heroes, gospel sharers in my life, is a lady named Sarah. Sarah Saw lives in Jacksonville. She is a Burmese refugee who stood for Jesus in her refugee camp at a great pain to herself, both physically and emotionally. But she stood for him and shared the gospel. Because of her belief in Jesus, she was removed from her land and persecuted to a great degree. She had the scars to prove it. I went to their church one day. They invited me to come and preach. And so I went and I shared a very basic message about the Great Commission, which they loved. You know, you love the Great Commission when that's how you live. And um, I challenged them at the end of the sermon. I gave them a note card. And I said, I want you to write down three names of people with whom you could share the gospel. We prayed together and spent time praying. And, and everybody had these cards with their names. And, and I left there and, and went back to my ministry and saw her in her church once in a while. And about six months later, Sarah, uh, we, saw her, um, we saw her at an event. And she said, hey, pastor, I really want to take you and your wife and kids I want you to come visit me at my restaurant. She was serving, she was a server at a restaurant. I said, sure. So we go there, and we get there, and we pick out our food, and then we get to the cash register, and Sarah goes, no, no, no. You're not going to pay for this. I know how much money Sarah makes. I know how much money she probably needs to make ends meet. And I'm thinking, there's no way Sarah is paying for my whole family's dinner. So I said, no, please, just l please let me pay. And then she gave me this look that I think came directly from the Holy Spirit. And I backed down. She, she pays for our dinner. We go sit down. I'm already on the verge of, of bawling, right? I'm, I'm almost, I'm trying to hold it together. You know, I don't want to be a, a man that cries in front of somebody else, like many of you probably. So I'm holding it together. Then she sits down with us. And she goes, I, wanna, I, I wanted you to come see where I work, but I wanted to show you something. I'm like, cool, what is it? She pulls out this old, crinkled note card. And then we sit down, and she tells me exactly how she shared the gospel with all three of those people. I talked to Bill, and I work with him, and I shared the gospel with him, just how you showed me, Pastor. And Bill got saved. And I shared it with this this lady, and, and she's praying about it. And then I shared it with my boss. And, and he didn't like it. He got really mad. But I'm still praying for him. And then he told me that I couldn't share the gospel anymore at my restaurant, or I'd be fired. So I'm trying to do it on my own time. I'm trying to, to reach people for Jesus. And I wanted to invite you to come to this restaurant, and, and I wanted to show you this. Because Sarah had made a commitment to the Lord to tell people about Jesus. And that commitment took her straight into the lion's den where she was persecuted and, and 
celebrated salvation at the same time had a very difficult time. And I was just broken by that. Her faithfulness to trust the Lord, to share the gospel, to put her job at risk, a job she desperately needed. It reminded me of 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you all believe the Word of God? Do you believe the Bible is true? All right, so if we believe the Bible is true, we need to be ready to be persecuted if we're going to commit to live a godly life. It doesn't say that you might be persecuted. It doesn't say that you probably will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted in this world. We've got to be ready and willing to face persecution for our faith. Are you willing to lay everything down for the cause of Christ? Let me ask you again. Are you willing to lay everything down for the cause of Christ? That's not a question we should answer lightly or take, take lightly or, or just answer randomly, right? This is a serious commitment. Am I willing to lay everything down for the cause of Christ? If you say yes to that and walk out of these doors and God through His Spirit tells you you need to do something, guess what? you got to do it. you got to do it. We've got to do it. Finally, verses 59 to 60 describe how we are to receive our persecution Realizing that it is their fault, what they're doing is wrong, but it's not their fault because they don't know Jesus. While they were stoning Stephen, right? So Stephen, in this moment, just to like clear, like, like provide clarity for you, in this moment, he's receiving the brunt of stones that are being thrown at his body. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's become obvious to him that he's about to die. Then he kneels down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. How did Stephen receive that persecution? With grace and love. In those moments, Stephen could have cried out a number of things. This is illegal. I'm innocent. You can't do this. Stop. Instead, with his eyes focused on Jesus, who's standing at the right hand of God in heaven, Stephen, who's now talking to Jesus, says, Lord, don't hold this against them. At his heart, Stephen still loved those around him. In his heart, he, he desperately desired for them to be saved And so as we go out from this place proclaiming the gospel, the Bible says you will be persecuted. How will we receive that persecution? With mercy and grace? Walking with Jesus who gave His life for our salvation and now walks with us from this place out into a world that desperately, desperately needs to hear the gospel. 
Stephen gave his life. He was a martyr. Why? You ever read that and just wonder, why would he give his life for Jesus? Because he was captivated by him. Because before the persecution ever began, Stephen already gave his life to Jesus. Jesus wasn't someone that he just, he just heard a story about and believed the story. Although we are called to do that. He believed in Jesus and followed Jesus as his Lord and his Savior, his Messiah. Stephen had already made up in his mind that he was giving his life over to Jesus before the persecution happened. He was captivated by him. He believed in him and he followed him. Stephen's death encourages us and confronts us with the way that we live our lives. One question came to mind for me. Am I prepared to die daily for Jesus? Am I prepared every day, every moment of every day, to surrender my life, my will, my intentions, my attitude to him? In Matthew 16, 24, the Lord Jesus said this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, who here wants to follow Jesus? Anybody? Anybody in here? Anybody want to follow? We want to follow Jesus, right? We, let's say it together. I want to follow Jesus. Let's try it again. I want to follow Jesus. David over here is laughing because he knows the rest of this verse. Ready? If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anybody wants to follow me, says Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you know where we follow him? Anywhere he takes us. Whether that's to a good life full of God's blessings or to death as a martyr, that's where we go. Woo, that's tough. That's tough. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So we're going to close up here. We're going to finish everything with an invitation. I want to invite our team to come back up. Every time we have a worship service here on Sunday mornings, we have a time of invitation. And, and this really is a moment of decision. So in a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand in just a minute. We're going to play a song. We're going to worship together. But the point of what we're doing is giving you an opportunity to respond to what Jesus has laid on your heart. So I know, because of what the Bible teaches, that when I preach the word faithfully, which I think I've done today, that that word penetrates into your heart and causes you some encouragement or conflict or challenges you to make a decision. So we're going to have a time for you to respond to that. Maybe today you've not made that decision yet to follow Jesus. The gospel message for which Stephen died is this. That we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That our sin separates us from God. That, that that sin and that separation earns us the wrath of God. But God so loved us that he sent his only son, Jesus, 
to live a perfect life on this earth and, and to give His life on the cross for our sins. His blood was poured out as an atonement or a covering for our sin. He died on that cross and then He was buried in the ground. And on the third day, He rose again, conquering death and sin. And provides us with the opportunity to be saved from our sin and to be restored to a right relationship with God through Jesus. And so today, if you've not responded to that good news, that gospel message, in a moment when we stand, come to the front and I want to pray with you. I want to give you a chance to follow Jesus. If you need to follow through with baptism or would like to join this church, all of that can be done during this time of invitation. Now I want to take just one more minute and talk to our dads. Happy Father's Day. God created you to have a very unique and special role in the lives of your children. Raise them up well. Raise them up to love Jesus. Now, we had a couple weeks ago ordered some knives for you guys, and they just didn't arrive today. And so girls, our ladies have some tickets for you. Go ahead and start passing those out. If you're a dad, go ahead and stand up. If you're a dad, stand up, and our girls are going to give you a ticket. Oh, and Ari. Sorry, Ari, I didn't see you over there. Y'all disperse. There's some over here. If you're a dad, stand up. Once you get your ticket, you can sit down. All right, what these are is an IOU. All right? IOU, one Father's Day gift, which didn't arrive in time. And so next week, um, provided they do arrive as promised, um, you're going to get a knife. Now, why would we give you a knife? Well, knives are awesome, and I think every guy I know would love to have another knife. But also because as fathers, it's our job to teach and raise our kids in accordance with the Word of God. And so as you receive this knife, you need to remember that the Word of God is like a knife. We are to use the Word of God to penetrate deep into the hearts of our families and especially the hearts of our children. Teach them the Word. Help them to understand it. Foster and encourage them to receive that Word which cuts into their hearts so that they can know and follow Jesus. I want to invite everybody to stand now. During this time of invitation, if God is speaking to you in any unique way, if you need to be saved, if you need to join this church, if you would just like to pray, as we sing this song, please come forward so we can pray with you and encourage you. Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation, this moment of decision. Help us to be a people who stand for you by faith. Help that person today who's here in this place to take that step of faith and to come forward so we can celebrate whatever it is that you've done. In Jesus' name I pray.